Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what pressures will the Liberal government face in this week's federal budget? We use our power to get help to people, and in the agreement that we struck, it includes action in this budget. So some of the things that we want to see, the first steps on our dental care plan to cover children under 12, that has to be in the budget. Uh, we also want to see some of the measures to pay for our investments in the people. And one of those is the tax, the ultra-rich, ultra-rich, starting with the big banks who made record profits. Melanie Jolie meets with Canada's NATO partners in Europe. Canada also condemns in the strongest possible terms the Russian leadership's unjustifiable war on Ukraine. And I'm proud that Canada and CARICOM are standing together at the UN in the face of this heinous and unconscionable invasion. And what happens next after the Pope's apology for the role of the Catholic Church in the residential school system? I was touched by the way in which he expressed his sorrow and also the way in which um, he condemned the actions of the Church in particular regards. There is much more to do, and so an apology is a part of a larger picture. It's Monday, April 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mark. We're starting another week, and we are looking ahead to the federal budget, which will be presented by Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland on Thursday. What do you expect? There's a lot at stake here and a lot at play here. Uh, Obviously, there's a different dynamic because the Liberals know, presumably in advance, they're going to have the support of the NDP. It's not a question of whether this budget is going to pass. But there are a lot of pressures on this budget, even as maybe some of the COVID spending abates, there are pressures around defense spending and in other areas. So what do you expect? I, I, I think it's a really important budget. Um, I'll say that the and it's going to be talked about all week, you know, different facets of it, and some some way or another till we actually see the document. But Mark, really, when when governments introduce budgets, they do them in a couple of different contexts, right? Uh, where they have total control over the economy is humming along, or there's nothing sort of uh, no major dark clouds on the horizon, and it's you know, they're, they're basically managing an economic situation and either continuing what they've been doing or, uh, you know, uh, tweaking here and there. And then you have budgets that are delivered in times like this, and that doesn't happen very often, where you're, you're delivering a budget in a time when there's incredible insecurity in the world because of the war in Ukraine. Uh, inflation's going through the roof. Uh, housing affordability is a distant dream for, for many young families. And, you know, you're coming out of a, or, or still dealing with uh, two years plus of a pandemic. So there's lots of challenges in front of this government and lots of different sort of ways they could go. I think it's clear we're going to see a, a lot more spending, um, perhaps than had been previously expected. And we're going to see it in areas that weren't necessarily on the radar um, just a little while ago, including on defense. And the government having to decide how close to the the NATO threshold of 2% of GDP, GDP it's prepared to go. You have people talking about, you know, uh, billions more in defense spending. And I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see, but it's probably going to be a longer-term plan. And it, I'll be curious to see whether it actually gets us to the NATO threshold at any point uh, in in 
uh, you know, in the cycle of investment that is going to be unveiled in the budget. But there's also, this is one of those budgets where the government now has been dealing with a series of crises and now has to decide a path forward. Clearly, it's going to be a green budget. It's going to talk about major climate investments, how to retool the Canadian economy moving forward coming out of the pandemic. But it also has to deal with these big issues of affordability and and defense spending. So uh, lots of things to watch for. Uh, Whereas I said, a lot of budgets are just keep managing what you're doing. This is going to be a budget that takes uh, the economy in a bunch of different directions. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, uh, and tell me if you feel differently, it's, it does feel like this budget is the beginning of a new chapter because we are, uh, notwithstanding that there are still many infections happening, we are near the end of the COVID phase, and that certainly as it impacts the budget, uh, maybe that'll change, but that's the, that's the dynamic, I think, yeah. this week. Um, and, and it's also the first budget since this deal was struck between the Liberals and the NDP, um, you know, I'm, I'm flashing back to the election in 2015, which was six and a half years ago, when Justin Trudeau was promising to run deficits of $10 billion a year for three years. And obviously, due to a lot of different reasons, uh, that that wasn't what ended up happening. Are we in this new chapter? Is there going to be any effort to sort of steer back towards kind of a, a balanced books or closer to it? Well, that'll be one of the things to watch for as well. Uh, I get the sense there there won't be uh, there certainly won't be a fast track uh, to get back uh, to a balanced budget. Uh, I mean, I think you're going to see the evidence suggests and the numbers we've already seen that the you know the national debt will double. Um, so we'll, it'll be I think a one and a quarter trillion dollars. Watch for that. Uh, not clear what the the deficit number will be. It was on a path to be reduced, but is it going to be you know, is it going to be reduced less now because of uh, major, uh, you know, investment uh, uh, measures the government will have to take in this budget, including on climate change, housing, uh, uh, pharmacare, dental care. Those are the uh, two big demands from the NDP and, and that liberal NDP supply uh, confidence agreement uh, actually, you know, calls for billions more in spending over time. And so will we see, you know, those so-called fiscal anchors or is the anchor just going to keep sort of dragging along the bottom uh, and, and not actually, you know, you know, you know, stop the ship from, from moving deeper into, into debt? So I, I, in deficit, those are things I, I'll be watching for is exactly how committed the government is to getting spending under control or whether it still believes it's in a period uh, where we're coming through the, you know, and during, as you touched on Mark, during the pandemic, it was all about keeping people whole. Uh, that was the whole government approach, spend whatever it takes to try and, you know, have the economy close to where it was before the pandemic hit when the pandemic ends. And so, you know, now it's societies are learning to live with COVID-19 in, in its various forms and and move forward. So this is going to be less about urgent spending and more about spending that creates a path forward and a new economic track or a, a different economic track than the one we were on. So this one will be up, uh, clearly a lot greener. Yeah. And uh, so be watching for that, you know, how much is being spent and how much attention is being paid to getting that spending under control and at what point. All right. We'll be watching all week long. We'll have lots of coverage on CPAC, of course, leading up to the budget and on budget day, as always. Let's turn to a couple of other stories, Peter. And late last week, of course, uh, there was the breaking news that 
the Pope had uh, apologized to indigenous leaders from Canada who had, had spent several days there at the Vatican meeting with the leaders of the Catholic Church. Uh, what's next on this? Because I know that the apology is viewed as an important step, but it's not the only step. Uh, and there, there are still a lot of expectations, I think, from indigenous leaders and from others who support them on what the Catholic Church does next. So what are you expecting on that? There are so many layers to this uh, story that we've been watching unfold for, for many, many years. And clearly, uh, the apology delivered by the Pope in Rome last week is, is one of the significant uh, way stops along the way. But clearly, there's so much more that still needs, needs to take place because, you know, as Indigenous leaders will tell you, you know, we they needed to hear the apology. Uh, clearly, that was the demand. They needed to hear it from the Pope, and the Pope delivered it. They need to hear it again in Canada. So confirmation of exactly when the Pope will come and that he will deliver that apology again. Um, preferably for Indigenous groups, it'll be on in, in, you know, in Indigenous territory where the, the Pope needs to deliver this apology. But then what is it that backs up the apology? So a couple of key outstanding demands. Reparations, money from the Catholic Church, uh, that has been uh, decided upon in, in settlements and that, that is supposed to be paid as it still hasn't. So the pressure continuing uh, uh, to bear, to be brought to bear on that. And also um, church lands that are on, you know, uh, indigenous territory, the lands that were taken by the church and that indigenous groups want back. And, they want the Pope to commit to that as well, uh, and the Vatican, to, uh, the Catholic Church, to commit that those wrongs will be undone as well. So uh, the story moves forward. Uh, still many more uh, issues to be resolved. Those are t- two of the key ones, and so watch for the pressure to be maintained there. All right, and finally, Peter, on the crisis in Ukraine, which you mentioned earlier, uh, the the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, is going to be in Europe this week. Um, I know... A lot of people are watching the situation on the ground in in Ukraine uh, and wondering what happens next. But from the perspective of Canada and its NATO allies, what what's the discussion about now, and and what might happen next? Don't really think the discussion changes. Uh, how, how to ramp up sanctions? What more uh, actions can NATO countries take and Western allies take that doesn't involve uh, engaging Russia head on in a in, in combat. Um, so, you know, I mean, we are now starting to see uh, what happens. Uh, Ukrainian troops seem to be taking more and more, taking back more and more territory from uh, the Russians. And as the Russians are leaving, look what's being left behind, these searing images uh, that we're seeing from Ukraine, Mark, of bodies in the streets and uh, allegations and perhaps video evidence of some of the atrocities being committed against civilians. So there will continue to be outrage expressed. There will continue to be sanctions laid. There will continue to be, where possible, military, lethal military supplies and equipment uh, delivered to Ukraine to keep up the fight. But the other thing to watch for is uh, does does any potential of NATO to do more get watered down somewhat? As you, if, if Ukraine's gaining the upper hand and pushing the Russians out, uh, and limiting perhaps what you know, perhaps what happens next to the uh, to the uh, eastern part of the country in Crimea, uh, does that weaken somehow uh, the argument for NATO to do more if Ukraine's actually winning? Yeah. 
All right. We'll be watching all these stories this week. More to come. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. The apology that was made was one that is long overdue. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues Canada must begin learning from the sins of its past. The Sun writes, The apology from Pope Francis last week was an elegant, unconditional, and heartfelt apology, and his sincerity was clearly evident. Now it's time for Canada to heal. It's easy to point fingers at a church whose leaders live thousands of kilometers away on a different continent. The inconvenient truth is that this happened in our country, and people elected by Canadians allowed it to be perpetrated. It continued throughout a succession of governments of all stripes. The residential school tragedy has been a festering wound for generations. This apology opens a path to reconciliation. At cbc.ca, Aaron Huery argues the Liberal NDP deal may be putting New Democrats in an awkward spot. Huery writes, The challenge for New Democrats is to establish that they can criticize the government credibly on some things while broadly agreeing with the government on others. Modern political parties seem much more comfortable describing other parties in only the most negative terms, as if their rivals are thoroughly unredeemable. A bit more nuance might not be a bad thing. In the Toronto Star, Emma Title argues, when it comes to COVID, it's clear we're not all in it together. Title writes, We have to learn to live with COVID-19. This is the directive on the lips of nearly every leader in the land. Governments have ceased holding regular briefings on the virus while it rips through schools and households. The immune-compromised and the elderly and kids too young to be vaccinated and wear masks are essentially excluded from public life lest they want to increase their risk of infection by hanging around unmasked people. Call it the throw caution to the wind wave, if you like, or the let it rip wave. I'm going to call it the wave in which we officially drop the farce that we're all in this together. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the Emir of Qatar. He will also meet virtually with the Premiers of the Northwest Territories, Nunavut and Yukon. He will receive a COVID-19 briefing from the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, Dr. Theresa Tam, and speak with the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in private meetings. Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault will hold a news conference to talk about the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And Minister of Sport Pascal Saint-Onge will speak at a news conference in Boisbriand, Quebec, about the business loop mission. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, April the 4th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.